This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. Illustrated podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Solomon. What's up, Brian? Not much. Happy to be here as always, Al. Yes, and joining the show, is this the first time? It's at least the first time in a long time, right? First time in a long time. Certainly first on video. Very yes. Excited to be here. PWI contributing writer, uh, Brady Hicks. I think it's first a long time PWI contributing writer, uh, Brady Hicks. How's it going, Brady? Uh, it's going well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this. Absolutely. I'm trying to do more of this. You know, it is a PWI podcast. I've, sometimes I think maybe I, I get too far away from, from the branding, but but certainly an opportunity to introduce um, a lot of people from the magazine to our uh, viewers. Why, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, how long you've been with the magazine now? You sure, might have me uh, beat. I started in, uh, I think it was 2006. Yeah, so you got me uh, beat by like a year. With yeah. a- with a cover story on Edge and Lita and their relationship, so it was it was interesting. And uh, I mean, I've been a reader most of my life, so I, you know, it was it was a huge deal for me to to be able to uh, to join the staff, and and I love it. You know, it's just wrestling is a huge part of what I do. So, yep. And Brady's got a lot of his uh, own endeavors that uh, we'll talk about uh, a little later, uh, including uh, one pretty exciting thing, I think. But but we'll touch on it uh, a little later. Um, right now, well, let's tell you about what we're going to be talking about. A, a very busy couple weeks in pro wrestling. I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but you know, Brian, the day after we, when we got on last to record, just before we got on, I learned of the the death of Terry Funk, and then the show really became a large part about that. And then um, the day after recording, we learned of the death of Bray Wyatt. I mean, just an awful 24 hours. We'll, we'll get into that uh, in a bit. Also, um, several big shows since we last talked. All in, all out. To lesser extent, payback, um, but a lot of news in there, and obviously uh, the fallout of of all all in um, was the uh, the firing of, of CM Punk, and um, you know can't say we didn't see that coming to some extent. So we'll get into that uh, more in a bit. Uh, right now, let's tell everybody about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated is the November uh, 2023 issue with Matt Cardona and Steph. The lander on the cover. This is available now at pwi-online.com. I imagine it's available at your local bookstore if you still have one of those or your newsstand or what have you. Uh, but if you go up to the website, pwi-online.com, you can download it right away or have it delivered to your home. Obviously, the way to go is to uh, subscribe. And now we've got these combo deals where you can get both the print edition and the digital uh, edition uh, together. Big discount over um, the cover price. Tons in this issue, including the PWI poll and so much more. Uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't look ahead to the n- next issue, which is the biggie, the PWI 500. Um, I think we're a week away from announcing uh, the uh, the top 10. I, I was just looking at the emails, and I think, once again, we've got plans uh, for me and Candace to be on Busted Open and, and make uh, the, the big announcement. Uh, so an exciting time. You don't want to miss it. it. It's a big one. Uh, again, head on over to pwi-online.com. Uh, no spoilers, Brady, but I imagine you've seen um, the list and, and any uh, thoughts on, did we get it right this year? 
Uh, I honestly, I've only seen number one, and I was more than happy with that. So I, I okay. really, I, this has been a very busy summer for me. I, I haven't had a lot of involvement with it. So. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, talk about uh, number one. Um, you know, again, you don't want to say too much, but uh, I think it's a newsworthy one. Uh, again, pwi-online.com, PWI 500, ranking the top 500 wrestlers uh, in the world, and so much more content in their analysis, um, you know, historical perspective. This is now the 30, what is it, 91 we started. So what's the math there? 30, 33rd. 33rd uh, oh. PWI 500. Yeah. And and so this makes it so I've been part of fully half of them now. That's pretty cool. Um, and I guess yeah. you, Brady, even more than that. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I guess so. And actually, in that issue, in this PWI 500 issue, my column, my way it was column, which is the retro column, I actually looked back at the first PWI 500 and I broke down the top 10 and talked about like, could you believe that these people were still wrestling at that time? <laughs> like the Sheik and Bobo Brazil are on the list. Wow, or like crazy, yeah. Or in some cases, could you believe this guy is still wrestling? You know, like Dustin Rhodes is on the list, you know, things like that. So that was, uh, I tried to kind of add a little perspective on that. Was Jericho on that first PWI 500? Probably not. He had no. just gotten started. Jericho yeah. was not ranked, no. Yeah, yeah. But I remember, I mean, the, even the layout was completely different. It was sort of like... Um, a fold out, right? Uh, so, so you read yeah. it sort of, uh, uh, kind of like portrait mode, you know, right, uh, right. this way. And Hogan was number one because he had mm -hmm. he had won the Royal Rumble that year and he'd become the champion, you know, for the third time. That was a big year for him, so he was number one. And and was Zeus five hundred? If I remember yes, correctly, Zeus yeah. was five hundred. Was he yeah. really? That's funny. A, a little statement made by the editorial staff of PW. <laughs> we did not have the uh, the activity standards back then than than we have now because I mean he got in I imagine with like a match I, I also noticed <laughs> yeah a match I also noticed there was back then too a little bit of that we talk about the Dean Malenko effect where people were getting high rankings not based on really what they did but based on their abilities and how good they were because no offense here Ricky Steamboat's in the top ten. And I'm sorry, but 1991 was not really a banner year for Ricky Steamboat. That was when he was he was the dragon in the WWF and basically on the undercard. And he wasn't really doing all that much. He went back to WCW at the end of the year. But clearly he got his top 10 ranking just because he was one of the best performers in the business. You know, so there was yeah. some of that. Well, as, as heavy a lift as putting the 500 together is um, these days. I can't imagine, and I've talked to you know various people who were involved in the 500. Um, certainly, Bill After and Stu and some others uh, over the years. I can't imagine that work. I mean, there's no YouTube, there's no internet or anything. You know, I mean, I remember I was I came in sort of in the the tail end of of sort of the remnants of that uh, original era where there was a lot of mail packages coming into the PWI offices, videotapes. You you remember any of this, Brady? Uh. Yeah, I do, sort of. I mean, I wasn't really around the office per se, but uh, I can remember uh, the man, the sheer quantities that Stu used to receive. It was insane. Yeah, was and little, and, you know, I should ask Kevin, but I think we still occasionally get, you know, a, a couple, sure. obviously a lot more, but, but like the 8 by 10 and uh, a VHS of, of highlights and all that stuff. Right. Uh, and so it was just uh, a crap ton of work, I imagine, 
33 years ago or whatever it is of uh, putting this together. But still a lot of work now, and you don't want to miss it. And again, it's coming out next week. It's it's really uh, one of the, if not the big highlight of our publishing year. Head on over to pwi-online.com. Check it out. I, I was going to say, just imagine the process of putting that together without the internet. Yeah. Uh, insane it must have been. It's wild to think. I mean, we, we can jump on something like Cage Match or wrestling yeah. data and you can go okay here's what the guy's been doing all year and i mean yeah. which is especially helpful when it's somebody let's say who's not in a major company where you know everybody's following it very very closely i like i said my hat's off and i guess a, a lot of it i mean i don't know none of us were here then doing it but but i feel like a lot of it part of it might have been a lot more kind of like your gut feeling on guys rather than having numbers in front of you. Like I feel like this guy needs to be higher, like a little more than that, you know, and also in the field, you know, so he knew everything. Sure. Yep. Yep. And yeah, I don't know. I'm sure they spelled out criteria. I don't know how closely it was followed again. I don't think there were issues like activity, you know, standards for activity or anything like that. So yeah, I think it was a, a lot of gut and, um, you know, elbow grease. Which, uh, if you think about funny. it, it might explain more of why, you know, ability was so much more of a ranking factor because that was something that you could get a handle on even if you didn't have in front of you everything that they were doing all year long. You knew, okay, this guy's really good. This guy's not as good. You, you know what I mean? That might explain why that was part of, much more of a part of the ranking criteria. Yeah, yeah. Ahead of the, the next episode, uh, where I imagine we'll be talking more about the 500, I might dust off my, my copy somewhere, and it'll be fun to have it in front of us and compare the two. Um, all right, let's talk some some news, guys, and, and uh, we should start with the most unfortunate news, and again, it came right after we last recorded with the, the unexpected passing of Bray Wyatt. Uh, I mean, what can you say? An absolute tragedy. Uh, we had heard for months about some kind of illness people talked about a life-threatening illness. It was all very vague. Um, and we had seen over the years Bray disappear for, for months at a time. So I think a lot of people, myself included, didn't think much of it, um, you know, given that he had been uh, open about uh, um, emotional issues, mental issues over the years that he had uh, dealt with. I uh, assumed wrongly uh, that that's what was happening here. And then you hear just this awful news that um, I guess he was suffering from COVID for, for some time. That explained his disappearance right before WrestleMania. He didn't get to work with, with Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania. And the the word in recent weeks was that he was on the comeback trail, right? And and there was talk of, of maybe an imminent return. Um, obviously took a turn for the worse, had a heart attack. And uh, we lost Bray Wyatt at just 36 years old. You know, we're, we're here talking about him because he was a pro wrestler and a prominent one for, for this generation, um, obviously, that's all trivial relative to the, fa- to the fact that, you know, four beautiful kids lost their dad and, and you know, his, his uh, wife lost her husband. And, you know, one of the things that, that makes it that much sadder is that he was part of this uh, wrestling uh, a family where we kind of, you know, saw him grow up. You know, the, the, the grandson of Black Men, Jack Mulligan, the nephew of Barry Wyndham, the son of Mike Rotundo. Um, so such a deep wrestling on one hand, this is, you know, kind of the paradox of, of Bray Wyatt. On one hand, a guy who is steeped in so much wrestling tradition. And um, on the other hand, a guy that bucked it like few others, you know, um, and, and became a controversial figure in, in that way. I mean, like, I'll be up front. I wasn't the biggest fan over the years um, of, of his act 
at times. And again, that's trivial compared to everything else. But regardless, and I always think back to to that COVID WrestleMania in, in 2020 and the Fireflies Firefly Funhouse match, and how incredibly polarizing um, that was. And and I never seeing that and and um, thinking like, oh my god, this is just the worst thing. How could anybody like it? And just being barraged on on social media by people who absolutely loved it. Uh, so you know, I think that's sort of Bray Wyatt's legacy. You know, th- thinking outside the box like few others could. Sometimes I'd say to a flaw, but 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 uh, it 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 really is a matter of taste. And um, certainly one of the most influential uh, wrestlers, I think, uh, of his generation. Uh, uh, Brian, what do, what do you think Bray Wyatt's legacy in wrestling is going to be? Well, it's true, like you said, that that he bucked tradition, you know, being somebody f- from a wrestling legacy like he was. But the thing that I found about him, which tied into that legacy, is while he was doing all that, he had, like you see in these second generation and third generation wrestlers, he had an instinct for the business. He had an understanding of the business that a lot of times you don't get if you're just coming in cold like he knew how to get himself over he understood that that's the most important thing is getting yourself over i mean whether you like you know he was your cup of tea or not and he wasn't always mine either the man knew how to get himself over and i think the biggest thing for him if you look back at the last 10 years i mean definitely one of the best promo guys in the business without a doubt i mean i know that sometimes again people would get tired of his shtick or his routine. But I mean, like you could say that about any, any one of the great promo people lately, he's on a national spotlight, a national platform on a weekly basis. It's very hard to stay fresh, but he was inventive. He was creative. I think that, you know, the, the talent was there always. And in some cases, the creative didn't always, um, do him justice and that's coming from the company and also coming from his own instincts i think sometimes he was somebody that needed to be kind of reined in or kept on a path or whatever but the ability without question is there i mean he's one of the most talented over unique pro wrestlers of the last 10 years you know creative or or not yeah were you a fan brady i was a huge fan um in fact like i would say that this loss kind of was on the same level as Eddie Guerrero for me. Uh, because I, I think, um, you know, he had this unique ability. He got it. You know, he was able to reinvent himself as he needed. Uh, kind of like the Undertaker or Chris Jericho, you know, like over the years they evolve into what they think it needs to be. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot because I had some time to digest it. And um, I, I think there's a short term and a long term loss here. The short term is obviously we're not going to see him wrestle anymore, and that sucks. And 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 uh, you know the programming how he may have benefited it when he returned, uh, but the long term is he was only 36. Yeah. And this is a creative mind that I think probably would have been around the company or at least wrestling in general in a creative capacity for probably 40 or 50 more years. You know, and he was really good at that. And I think that uh, the long term that's going to be the far bigger loss is all of the ideas and all of the things that he could have contributed to that would have made wrestling better. Just my yeah. opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and that's you know was one of the big contrasts um, to draw with with the death of Terry Funk um, the the day before, and and that image of yeah. um, the WWE roster on on the the stage for the Ten Bell Salute with the pitch, the split screen with both of them. It's like, man, what a just awful twenty four hours in pro wrestling that that you're looking at at the picture of Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt next to each other. You know, Brian, we talked about Terry Funk. Uh, at least with Terry, and, and no less tragic, but at least with Terry, it's like you knew you got everything out of him, right? I mean, like there was, there's no uh, second guessing. One more match. Oh, only if, if we only had him around for for another year. I mean, obviously the guy was wrestling into his seventies. Uh, he 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 left it all out there and and squeezed every last drop out of his career. You know, as Brady touched on, you know, Bray Wyatt was just getting started. I mean, he uh, he was actually younger than than I thought he was, which speaks to how he, young he was when he was headlining pay-per-views with, with John Cena as, as a top guy uh, in his 20s. Uh, and incredible. And and you're right. I mean, uh, even for uh, uh, people like, like you and I who didn't always love the act, um, there should have been so much more left to give. And, and it, it could have and should have evolved so much more and was, right? Because this last evolution of Bray Wyatt that we saw um, – was different than what we had seen. And it didn't always hit the mark, you know, again, a, a, such a polarizing guy. The, the last match we saw him with um, LA Knight at, at Royal Rumble. Uh, again, the guy, sometimes his own detriment, was was so creative. And I remember Triple H talking about this just before Bray came back. And he said he was like the most creative guy I've ever known. But I think he described them as like a, a tornado that that like somebody had to steer in, in the right direction and and you saw that in in real time with his promos and his angles and you know it's just it, it was a fever dream right i mean all, all the time and and but underneath all of that was just immense creativity and and uh, i would have been so interested to see where that would have have been and i would have been really interested to see uh something of a more traditional presentation you know, drawing on on that legacy of, of people like his his uncle uh, Barry Windham. That's why when when he was out, I, I was really curious about him sh potentially showing up in AEW, being forced to drop the Bray Wyatt character and coming in there as as Windham Rotunda, maybe more of a traditional presentation, but with those incredible mic skills and that incredible athleticism. Um, you know, it's just a sh you know, again, th there should have been so much more. Right. And I think that they saw that in him, too. You know, I, I mean, I really think that you could see in the booking and the way he was handled that, you know, they almost looked at him as the potential to be kind of the next Undertaker type of yeah. phenomenon. And in terms of like he he was a unique, special kind of wrestler. He was an attraction. And I think one of the things that, you know, in the in today's wrestling the way it's presented it is very hard to maintain that kind of if that's the type of wrestler you are it's hard to maintain that you know it, he was like an undertaker or an andre the giant kind of thing or like um uh you know the kind of wrestler that is not done any favors by being on tv every single yeah. week that's the problem you know that's why big show could never become andre the giant because Andre the Giant didn't have to be out there, you know, doing jobs to people and on TV every week. So it's very hard, uh, you know, and I think that that is not a mark against him or a detriment to him at all. He he absolutely would have continued to be 
a special attraction for WWE, something very special and unique. Um, if he had a chance to continue on, uh, it's just a shame that we won't get to see it because I, I really think that you know he was he was special. Yeah, yeah. Brady, what what are some uh, uh, memories you have uh, when when you think about Bray Wyatt? What comes to mind? <laughs> Well, there's a lot. I mean, obviously, I, I think the big one for me is the uh, the two WrestleMania matches. You know, the first one, obviously, I think a lot of people really felt like WWE had a chance to make Bray Wyatt even bigger than he was by having him beat John Cena. And obviously, WWE decided not to go in that direction. Uh, at the time, I understood it because I could always argue that the bigger star always won at WrestleMania. Uh, but kind of looking back, I do see like how beneficial it might have been for him. Um, the Firefly Funhouse match a couple years later during the pandemic, that was interesting. You know, I, the traditionalist in me hated it because I mean, it, it wasn't a match. I'm not, I, like you said, I think fever dream was the best way to put it really. Yeah. Um, that's what it was, you know, um, but creatively, I think, a lot of the ideas, uh, a lot of the incarnations that he had, the Wyatt family was amazing. Um, the Firefly Funhouse stuff, I felt like it was overdone, uh, but I could kind of see what he was doing there. The Fiend, um, I wasn't a huge Fiend fan, but I could definitely appreciate the fact that he kept trying to do something different. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different memories there. I, I was actually in attendance at uh, Extreme Rules in October when he, when he came back and, and the reaction that that crowd had when he came out. And I know they were probably expecting him, but um, one of the top ovations I've ever heard live at an event. It was yeah, I, I, I thought that night and, and even more than that, the, the build up to that night and um, the, the kind of, you know, viral teasing on TV every week, the dropping little things here and there was uh, kind of Bray Wyatt's brain at its best. I thought yeah. that stuff really, really worked and got people excited. And, you know, you're to the point that, like, people were seeing things that weren't even there. Like, is that a hint? Is that a clue? You know, when when um, uh, something happened on AW programming some months back where, what was it, like the word no or, or something appeared on the screen, <laughs> like, for, like, one frame and immediately, uh, some of it jokes, some of it not. It's like, oh, my God, is Bray Wyatt coming to AEW? But right. he had that kind of effect on people. Because of, of that and because of the, the way his brain worked, there was a lot of swings and misses, right? I mean, not everything uh, worked, whether it was, um, you know, the Fiend stuff. I remember, I guess he had a couple matches with Randy Orton at, at WrestleMania, and I don't think either worked um, all that well uh, in, in the big – were there people who liked them? Sure. But I remember there was one with like uh, a projection of bugs on the, the ring. You remember this? And then, the, and then yeah. there was the one that I went to in um, uh, Tampa a few years back, which is the, the first one kind of post-COVID, uh, where there was the big jack in the box. And this was when weeks after he had been set on fire in, in the ring. And again, it's like – it, it's it was so up and down because his entrance to that match, you remember he walks through a tunnel and then it's sort of like he comes back to life and you see him transform walking to the ring. Uh, I thought that was tremendous. And then the match, not so much. And and I think that was always the the challenge. And, you know, I wrote the, the last big feature on on Bray for the magazine earlier this year and, and, and talked to some uh, folks about it. 
and, and that was sort of the, the consensus was that super creative, like this brilliant mind, but in pro wrestling, at the end of the day, it's like th this has to conclude with a match. And, and a match is set, you know, in, in this world of pro wrestling with certain rules. And it's different when you're fight, fighting like, you know, one of the contestants is this supernatural uh, uh, being. And uh, again, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, the, the, the worst wrestling match I've ever seen was a Bray Wyatt match, and, and it, and it oh, wow. was um, the, the Fiend and Seth Rollins at, at Hell in the Cell. And it is to say nothing about Bray Wyatt's athleticism or ability, or, or certainly Seth Rollins. It was just this this crazy experiment. And for, for me and for a lot of people, I, I don't think it, it worked. Um, but, you know, and, and that's the thing with, with Bray was unquestionable creativity. But he was a genius, right? But a kind of a mad genius. And, uh, um, you know, I, I do think and that's why it, it, it's almost that much more heartbreaking, because I think this most recent version of Bray Wyatt um, sought to address some of that. And uh, it was just getting started. But I was you know, when you think about that promo after he came back at Extreme Rules, where it was very kind of heartfelt and we saw this um, more of kind of a human presentation of Bray, but with all the elements of, of his history and his past characters kind of uh, blended in, he clearly had something in mind. He always had something in mind. I mean, um, I think sometimes it was difficult um, for him and for WWE to take whatever what was happening in his brain and present it on, on television. Uh, but again, at 36 years old, there was so much more time to develop that and harness it. And uh, yeah, that's why it makes it, I think, uh, even in, in a business where unfortunately we talk about tragedies all the time, that much more tragic just because so young. And, you know, I went right to like his social media stuff and was um, after uh, his uncle, Barry Windham, um, was hospitalized. And who would think that Barry Windham would, would end up outliving uh, Bray Wyatt? But, but at, when, when he was in the hospital, he gave this incredibly heartfelt uh, message to his fans um, um, a, a, where he was very reflective and kind of talking about mortality and all that. And to see that in with within this context, now that he's gone, absolutely heartbreaking. You see his beautiful little kids. It's just, uh, it's as sad as it gets. For sure. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, go on, Brady. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, the thing that comes to mind for me is uh, out of the box, you know, yeah, everything that he did, was good, bad, or otherwise, it was out of the box from what you would traditionally see. And and that's where I think his long-term benefit would have been yeah, in that yeah. environment. Well, I, I think towards the end there, what was so what's so interesting to me is one of the last things I think that he did, and I don't know if it was planned this way or not, was he got LA Night over. I mean, yeah. that was – I don't know if that was what they were trying to do. I, I get a sense it wasn't because they were just getting Bray off the ground and L.A. Knight, that's when he first started to – I mean, a lot of us knew he was amazing for years, but that's when he really started getting the attention of the WWE audience. Was He was getting those responses where they were like, hey, I know that this guy is supposed to be kind of Bray Wyatt's whipping boy here, but we kind of like this guy. We kind of like the attitude that he's bringing to it, and he's funny, and he's kind of saying these things that are making people connect with him. That was like the start of it, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I thought, um, and, he, and they obviously had so little time to turn it around, but that tribute show, 
and closing with L.A. Knight. Yes. Um, uh, I thought it was it was classy. I thought it was well done. Um, do, do you uh, assume that we see him inducted in the Hall of Fame um, this time? Uh, well, come this WrestleMania, I think that would be entirely appropriate. I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to go in, and I mean, it would seem like it would be the time to do it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I imagine the question is, you know, how his family feels about it and whether they're going to be up for it by then. And I imagine that'll be just incredibly emotional. Um, so, again, I hate to do this again, but but uh, extending our condolences on behalf of the whole Peter Bay family, uh, obviously to the Rotunda family. Um, okay, let, let's let's talk some other news. Uh, the other big uh, uh, headline coming over uh, the last week: the firing of CM Punk, and and we'll talk about All In and All Out somewhat separately. But obviously, the the backdrop here is Punk's latest brawl backstage with another wrestler and and big skirmish with with Tony Khan and uh, this one uh, maybe in some ways even uglier than the first uh, if only because it was more in view of er uh, of everyone and seemed to actually involve Tony Khan uh, this time around uh, they molded over for a week and then the the day before all out in Chicago you know where where I think the the hope the idea would have been to have Punk headline uh, this event in front of a hometown cr- crowd, we get the news that he's fired for cause. Tony Khan going on television. Uh, I mean, a memorable moment, him saying that he never felt like like his life was in danger uh, before. Uh, so that, that really speaks to how serious this got. Um, you know, to, to me, I mean, just to quickly share my thoughts, clearly this was not a sustainable situation, right? I mean, wh- whoever you want to blame... It seems like um, it was just a miserable atmosphere for everyone involved. Uh, I understand, uh, I really do understand uh, a Tony Khan trying to figure out a way to make it work because Punk is worth it because he, he is a fantastic performer. Um, I think has solidified himself as, as an all-time great. In a weird way, I mean, tying it back to, to Bray Wyatt, uh, a genius in, in his own right, I think. I mean, as far as like a, a brilliant performer, I think like a lot of uh, uh, brilliant artists, sort of tortured by his own art, right? I mean, I think like he he feels it so deeply um, that little things become huge things for CM Punk um, and he makes himself miserable and he makes other people miserable and, uh, I, you know, I think we've talked about it here, but we've all been in that job where maybe somebody's really good at what they do and maybe they sell more printers than everybody in the office, but they are just the most miserable person to be around. And it's not sustainable for a uh, uh, for morale in a workplace. So um, I think this was the only way it, it, it was going to work out. Um, I, I think it's a huge blow to AEW. I think... Punk will be just fine, you know. Um, we'll talk in, in a moment what becomes of Punk. Uh, but, but Brady, let me ask you your, your thoughts on this. Um, and was this inevitable? Yes, yes, it was inevitable. I mean, it seemed to me to be inevitable anyway. Um, it, it, it's weird because uh, you mentioned like that miserable employee, you know, that, that was really good at what they do. Um, but it would be like if your boss said, well, I'm going to take half the company and put you in another building yeah, crazy. and work. It, it was, they, I mean, they, they basically created a show around him. And my argument the whole time was at some point, 
everybody's going to be under the same roof again and the same problems are going to surface. I didn't expect him to come back in June with Collision. I really didn't. I was shocked that they decided to bring him back because it was so clear to me that right, wrong, or otherwise, there was a large percentage of that locker room that weren't happy that he was there. And I don't see how you can sacrifice the feelings of a large percentage in favor of what seemed to me as an observer to be just a handful of people that were very happy to have him involved. Um, so to me, it was kind of inevitable. And um, I mean, it's sad to see. I was hoping that they would find a way to work everything out. And even with like a sort of a soft brand split or whatever they said, I was hoping that that would give them enough of an opportunity to allow him to continue to excel at what he does, make the company a lot of money, certainly increase their exposure. Um, yeah, but it wasn't to be, I guess. Yeah. The the, the, the funny thing of Brady, and I think Brian, you'll agree with a lot of this. If, if you looked at Punk's, um, you know, gripes and arguments like on a piece of paper, and you had, if you had both sides kind of argue their side and in documents in court, I think we'd agree with CM Punk a lot in what his gripes uh, were. I mean, I, I I think he made a lot of sense in um, what what he pointed. He made a lot of sense in 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 the issues that he brought out. He didn't handle it the right way. Right, and I think that's what it comes down to. And I have to say first and foremost that you cannot let Tony Khan off the hook here because I think the bigger picture of all of this is that it was allowed to get this bad. Right. That it was allowed to get to this point and fester for a year, more than a year, because it probably goes back to when he first got in there. So maybe almost two years to not be able to get a handle on this to the point where it gets this bad. Because I think, and I'm not absolving Punk for doing the things that he did. I also want to be the one to say that, you know, people that act like fights in locker rooms are, you know, like some type of like Pearl Harbor tragedy. I think we need to get a grip on ourselves. Like these things, they do happen a lot. But again, I'm not letting him off the hook. I understand there's got to be repercussions. But again, that it was allowed to get to that point. You have, Al, what you were, I think, hinting at is this kind of like whatever the opposite of a perfect storm is, is what they had. It's just you have a combination of a locker room where from what things I have heard from people, and this is even from people who have been in there and worked there, is, you know, it, it's very different from WWE. It's not as it, it, it you get the sense that it's more like people that just kind of want to do their thing and have fun and have the kind of matches they want to do and be with their friends and just, you know, uh, work once a week and that kind of thing. And then you have somebody who spent years in the WWE system who is a prima donna and not somebody who is good at keeping their mouth shut and going with the flow and just letting it, you know, not harshing anybody's mellow. You put those together and you have a mess on your hands. Like I think there are people like a Chris, Chris Jericho to me is the example of the flip side. He's somebody that could just go, you know what? 50 whatever I'm at the end of my career I'm making really good money yeah i know that a lot of what's going on here is nonsense but do i really am i really gonna make a stink no i'll just go with it because they're showcasing me very well and you know i i i'm i'm doing all right here i'm not gonna mess this up and then but i think there are a lot of people that if they were put in punk situation I mean, look what cody did i mean i think that's cody had his response to it 
He was a WWE guy. He was a guy that understood the way he felt the business should work and what the company should be. He didn't go choking people out. He just said, I'm going to get the hell out of here. Like, that was his response. And Punk, that's the way, unfortunately, that Punk deals with things. That's also why he had his falling out with WWE. So I think that it's just this big, giant mess. I don't think you can villainize any one person, but I think what we've all, what we can all agree on is that it was not sustainable. That somebody with his temperament and his kind of like uh, perfectionism and the way he had gotten used to, you know, working for, let's say, a company like WWE and just his passion for getting the business right, he was not going to fit in with the culture over there, which I think is more like a billion dollar um, independent promotion, honestly, absolutely, in the sense yeah. of the company culture. That's all. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And and I mean, uh, I think the comparison with, with Jericho is an interesting one. We've seen Jericho... Uh, adapt a lot over the years and evolve and always kind of trying to stay ahead of, of where the trends are. Um, Punk, not so much, right? I mean, Punk is CM Punk. He's always been CM Punk. I think he feels the way I'm doing it is the right way. And if you disagree with me, you're all wrong. And um, I I think often, I mean, if you, if you think about the origin of, uh, and and what we know of it, of, of this latest um, uh, skirmish with, with Jungle Boy backstage, you know, uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry wants to go through real glass on a television show, you know, being watched by, I don't know what it is, half a million people or something like that. And CM Punk, the veteran says, maybe that's not such a good idea. And I mean, knowing that little bit and maybe, you know, there's more more context that's, that's required. But I look at that and I'm like, yeah, CM Punk is 100% right. He also wasn't the first person to say that. It, it had come like Tony Schiavone as head of talent relations had told him no. Other people had told him no. And they basically had gone to Punk to be like, could you please talk to this kid? Like, that's what had happened. It wasn't just Punk's going off on his own saying, don't do this. It, that was like last resort kind of of people just throwing their hands up and saying, can somebody please tell this kid not to put his head through a real plate glass window? Please? Yeah, right. And 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 you think back to the the, the, the real origins of all this with Adam Page, it, it was something similar. It, it was punk. Uh, it was this notion of uh, and, and I do think it is a, a cultural thing in, in AEW and, you know, it's their calling card. So so. It's hard to criticize them um, uh, about it because if they weren't this way, they wouldn't be AEW, and and this is what their fans want. But they do want to do things their own way. I think you know, on on one hand, there there is a respect for for tradition, but also I think uh, you know it is that indie mentality. It is it is that like um, don't you know. Thanks, you, you old head, but we got this. We're good. We know what we're doing. And if I want right. to do 88 high spots in the first five minutes of, of my match, I'm going to do it, and you can't tell me uh, and, any different. And, um, you know, and, and, and it's funny because and we talked about this, but, like, when when Punk left WWE in, in this huff and just hated it, I never want to go back there again. And um, the, the thought was that that AEW would be like this perfect fit for him because they really love wrestling. And, you know, I, I think everybody realized that that couldn't have been more wrong. And he could, and, and he's a, a terrible fit in, in AEW uh, because he's a grown up. He, he and a curmudgeon grown up. Right. And, um, you know, and, and AEW is and I don't want to be disrespectful, but 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 they're um, 
you know, it's it's just a, a, a different kind of mentality there. And he was not going to work there. Right. I think it's just like, like I said before, I think a lot of it is they like to do things their way. And I think it, it comes down to for a lot of them there, they're having a great time and they don't want anybody to mess that up. They don't want yep. anybody to mess up the vibe, that kind of thing. And punk is the ultimate vibe disruptor. You know, I mean, look, look, Regal's another one. Look what happened with him. The minute he realized, look, what am I doing here? Like, no one cares about what I have to say. No one's interested. You know, other, other veterans have said it, Tully Blanchard or Jake Roberts, who were like, they never asked me. You know, and I know people, and I, well, I'm not going to – I know people who have been there who have said from their own eyes that they see that the agents, quote, unquote, it's just sort of like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Okay, great. Awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it couldn't be more it comes different. Through. Right, from yeah. WWE. I mean, it's night and day. Yeah, and it was really interesting that that um, and it, this was after All In, right? That that Punk shows up at the, um, the Cauliflower Hour Club, right, and and uh, gives this speech where, you know, he kind of like reveals himself and and, uh, uh, and and you see like sort of what he's about. And he talked about Harley Race and 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 you know, Punk wants to wrestle in 1984. <laughs> I think I think that's like what it gets down to, and God bless him. Um, and and uh, because of that, th- this was completely unsustainable. Uh, Brady, anything you want to add to this? No, I, I think you guys uh, definitely – we approached it from both perspectives. You know, yeah. I, I don't think that any uh, party involved is 100% in the right. You know, uh, I yeah. do think that a lot of this could have been avoided had Tony Khan um, been a stronger personality that I don't necessarily know that he is. I think it was Bully Ray said that, um, and, and I thought this was a really good point that um, they need a bad cop in the yeah. locker room. They need I a heard guy. Kevin Ash say it too. Yeah, right. Maybe yeah. that's who it was. I don't. Yeah, but they need a guy with the authority to shoot people down who's not afraid to actually do it. Sort of like Vince did for so many years, and like I think Triple H probably is along the same mold. Yeah, yeah. But if if you had that, it wouldn't be AEW. And that's the thing that I, I am uh, and we'll talk about, you know, the, the the booking of the two last shows in a moment. But on on one hand, um, you know, I, I watch a lot of the decisions made by by uh, Tony Khan and by AEW and I think oh, they're getting this totally wrong, you know. And but I but I am mindful of like, well, am I just programmed that the WWE way is is the correct way? And how often have we criticized uh, wrestling companies, whether it's it's Impact or, or WCW, for just kind of trying to copy the WWE way. So I appreciate that, you know, that AEW does things differently um, is why they're AEW. Uh, so so I get it. That said, I do think that there are some things that are more clear that there's a right way and a wrong way. And when you have a situation like this that is this ugly, and there's plenty of blame to go around, but, but absolutely, you know, a fair amount of that blame has got to go to the leadership at, at AEW um, for, for letting it uh, get this far. As far as where Punk goes for now, um, d- do you think he's done? You know, there was uh, uh, the, he visited with WWE locker room some, some months back, you know, there was always there was some kind of talk that he was maybe feeling around for, for whether he could get a job there and making, you know, amends um, with some folks um, on, on one hand, and my, my quick thoughts on this on one hand, uh, I feel like he's happier outside of wrestling, sort of like day to day, you know, watching hockey, walking his dog with his wife. Uh, but I don't. But I don't know that he's super fulfilled. I I, I think like 
whether he wants to admit it or not, wrestling fulfills something uh, in him. Um, so I I don't doubt that that maybe he's got something more to give. I think coming after all this, sort of the the perfect fit for for Punk is a job in WWE with the Goldberg schedule or the, or the Brock Lesnar schedule, where he's a guy who who you bring in twice a year. And you put him in a program where he destroys the Miz, where he destroys Dolph Ziggler, and you know, and you, and you make sure you do it at Chicago, and the crowd goes nuts. Um, that, as far as the the on air side, um, as as far as day to day, I think what what we've seen is that I, I think he could be a really good coach. You know, m- maybe kind of a jerk of a coach, and we've all had those co- coaches, but I think he's got a a, a lot of wisdom to pass on. Uh, I think the NXT atmosphere might be kind of perfect for him because these are all young people who they're there because they want to make it onto to the the main roster, and they they have to be coachable, right? Uh, or or they're not going to make it. So if you sort of like, you know, decree that that Punk is the guy, listen to what Punk says. Um, I, I I think that could work pretty well. I don't know where the interest level is and something like that, or or. You know that's essentially the the job that Shawn Michaels has now, and and um, but but I could I'd be really interested to see that kind of arrangement. Yeah, I, I go ahead, Brian. No, no, please, it's okay. I was gonna say I I agree. I think NXT would be a great fit. Uh, the twenty two to twenty five year old that's there now was twelve to fifteen and watching CM Punk right. ten years ago. Uh, probably a huge fan because he got over like amazingly toward the end there with his run. Um, I, I think it's a unique time in the company history, too, because uh, with the impending merger and everything, uh, a lot of the powers that be aren't necessarily going to be the ones making those decisions anymore. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be all for it, uh, the, the things that you outlined. Yeah. Yeah, and WWE is very hot right now, and I think, you know, this would be I, – I made a joke, and I was only half kidding when – when it all happened that, you know, if I was Triple H right now, I would be dialing Punk's number so fast that my phone would catch on fire. But I mean, I, I think, do I think that in the long term, Punk is going to just be, if he goes there, he'll be happy as can be and everything will be wonderful? No, I don't. And I think, like you said, it should be something that is not really kind of like where he's now back to being a full-time part of the roster and he's, and he's a part of all the long-term plans and everything. I don't think it works out that way. But I do think they'd be foolish not to – I mean, there's a lot of value there. There's a lot of, of kind of increasing the company's buzz and increasing how hot they are by – think of what they could do with him and Cody. I mean, there's like built-in stories oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Think Roman. of what yeah. – have him challenge Roman Reigns. I mean, you're talking about a roof blowing off a building if you play Cult of Personality. I, I mean, you know, it's worth it for those kind of things in the short term. Even put, you know, I I don't know if he's a person that's going to beat Roman, but I mean, you have, there's so many things where he could be put into the mix to help that company even more. Do they need him? Because when I said that, everybody was like, they don't need him. They don't need him. And I agree, they don't. They don't need him. But it certainly would be a bonus to them if they could do something with him. And then, like you said, Al, then he kind of settles into, because he's not a kid anymore, then he settles into that kind of like, lead agent type of position or somebody that's working with 
Shawn Michaels. My understanding is that he's got a lot of respect and admiration for Shawn Michaels and that he was a fan of his. I mean, that could be a good fit. Have him, you know, he's got a lot to contribute. And I think as crazy as it sounds, it's almost like the the plot to It's a Wonderful Life yeah. where, where it's like all of a sudden now Punk realizes, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe I could go back there. Maybe that's really where I belonged all along. I kind of think that might be what he's thinking now. And I think it would be better for him to be there. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, we've seen it, it, it's sort of Triple H's superpower is to bring back these guys who you'd think were never going to be in WWE's good graces again, whether it was, you know, Bruno or, or the Warrior or what have you. This is a little different because um, some of that animosity is with Triple H himself, not just with Vince. But it sounds like that was like true that's, with Cody. But that was also true with Cody. Right. Right. And I think a lot of that's been patched over. And I do think that that um, Punk probably has a very different perspective now on how everything went, um, whatever it was, close to 10 years uh, ago. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah, I, I actually think like that could this could really work. And I was just looking, when's the next time WWE is in Chicago and it's for Survivor Series? Yeah. Uh, you know, one, one of the big ones. You know, it's not super clear, like, what, what his status uh, is uh, right now. You'd have to do it in Chicago, right? I mean, like, you'd have to bring him out in Chicago. Um, and and just, to, you know, where do you go from that? But imagine, you know, Cult of Personality starts playing uh, at the end of uh, a Survivor Series. It would be a moment. Um, and I really do think, you know, looking at the, these past couple years with, with Punk and how his whole experience went in, in AEW – and everything that went wrong with it, I I do think it sort of makes it more likely that a WWE run would go right, you know, because I think you'll have a completely different sort of appreciation for a person like like Triple H or Vince McMahon or Cody, and and say like, yeah, these guys get it. The, the, these guys get what what the job is, and that um, you know we're here to make money, and. Um, in a way that 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 I think some folks at AEW don't understand. This dovetails into the other conversation, which is about All In and All Out, two huge shows. You know, Brian, we, we were pulling our hair out for the last few weeks, even figuring out why they were doing this, you know. And uh, when they held so much back from All In, which was in front of 80,000 fans, this record-setting crowd, the thought was, well, it must be because, you know, they're, they're really going to, like, over, uh, 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 you know, deliver with, with All Out. And if if All In is the comedy match between Adam Cole and MJF, then All Out is where they pull the trigger on the real, like, grudge match, big marquee. And what did we get at All Out? Um, Adam Cole and, and uh, MJF defending the Ring of Honor tag team titles against the Dark Order. It was it was confounding. I mean, really, the, the, the booking of, of those two shows is is one of the, the craziest things uh, I've seen. And I, I get, like, the different arguments, and I actually saw uh, Jim Ross, who, who I have just a ton of respect for. Um, and I don't know if this was before – I think it was before All In going online and, and, you know, taking issue with people criticizing the booking of the shows before a single match got into the ring. And he says, how, how can you criticize booking if, you know, none of these matches have, have, have uh, taken place yet? And I thought that was just um, completely wrong uh, as a take because they're really two different things. And it, it sort of went exactly how I expected, which is that on both shows, they delivered a bunch of great matches. Absolutely, yes. right? I mean, like like five-star match after five-star match. But that's only part of the job. And, and I think you could argue 
less than 50% of the job uh, of a wrestling promoter and, and the majority of, uh, or the most important part of a wrestling promoter's job is to promote, to make people excited about a card. And, and um, you know, if you were giving them a, a report card for, you know, all of this all in and all out, uh, if there's a line in there, you know, match quality, A plus, right? For so many other things, including booking and just sort of like conceptualizing of these matches, I think there's a lot of Fs and, and Ds, and you end up with a report card that is maybe around a C or a C minus. But uh, I see people heaping praise on this company for how good the matches were, and I think they're just completely missing the mark. Yeah, and, and I think that more and more it seems clear to me that, you know, and I felt this even at the time, but I wasn't totally sure. I really do think that this all-in opportunity at Wembley, it felt to me like a very kind of knee-jerk reaction. I, do, I think it was the kind of thing where they got wind of the fact that, you know, oh, it's okay, it's August, it's SummerSlam, Wembley Stadium, that's when they had it, and oh, it's available um, okay, yeah, screw it, let's do it. Like, it was that kind of a thing. Like, yeah, we, we'll make it work. And they never stopped to go, like, wait a minute, we have a pay-per-view one week after. It's kind of the one we've established as our as our big one. It's like, uh, you know, they're, they're, they didn't have any matches lined up for it, apparently. And, and they just kind of winged it. I, I, I do feel like there wasn't a lot of thought put into even why are we doing this show. It was just, it's available, there's an opportunity, Let's do it. In fact, I remember it was at the time it was coming out of Clash at the Castle. It was almost like that. It was like, oh, huh, they did a big show in Wales. Okay, uh, Wembley, let's do it. Boom. It, it was like some kind of crazy stream of consciousness decision. And, and like you said, and now looking back on it, look, they did what they've always done to their credit. Very good pay-per-views. Very good matches. Their pay-per-views always deliver. Um, you know, and, and, and we didn't even mention, and it should be mentioned, uh, Brian Danielson stepping up to the plate in in, in the absence of Punk and really that you know putting on a, an, an incredible match there and really in some ways um, saving the show. But again, you look at it and you go like, it, with All In especially, it's like a week out and it's like it never happened. And I hate to be that cynical, but it's like they still are can't sell out. You know. Uh, uh, an NBA-sized arena for a TV taping where they already have half the arena blacked out for TV, and they still can't sell it out. And the TV ratings, just the same as they ever were, it's like I, they just can't create those moments and create the momentum to grow and get people talking. And it's just like very short-term, okay, we're going to do a really great show. Okay, now we're going to do another really great show. And there's nothing kind of stringing it together. And I think this all-in and all-out thing was the biggest example yet of that, of exactly that problem that they have. Yeah, yeah. Brady, you agree? I do, yeah. I, I think uh, I think it was a reactionary decision uh, based on a lot of different factors to, to kind of bulk the show overseas. I, I think it was a calculated move to increase their audience and increase the buzz around the company heading into the biggest show. It turned out to way overshadow, I'm sure to an extent that they didn't even expect. Um, but you know what? It's part of the new wrestling where content is king and um, not all of the content is necessarily good, but there's such a, a focus on quantity, you know, how many, 
pay-per-views did we do? How many hours of television do we have? And you're seeing it across the board to the point where it's almost impossible. It's mind-numbing to keep up with everything that's out there. And I think AEW is just following suit the same way the industry has been growing over the last 30 years. Yeah. And and it's worth noting, I mean, we're, we're being critical of, of um, uh, AEW. And as I pointed out, it's like th- there is an AEW way of, of doing uh, things. But I'll also point out that it always it wasn't always this bad. I mean, and, and in fact, for a long time, they were they were pretty good about building a lot of anticipation to a marquee match at a pay-per-view that when it came into the ring, you know, whether it was, um, you know, take your pick MJF and, and Moxley uh, last year, or uh, there were a lot of these matches that they would um, foreshadow months in advance and build and build and build, and then pull the trigger at the, at the, the big pay-per-view. So that's what has made uh, these last few weeks. So just kind of confounding. I mean, that, that they did all in in front of 82,000 uh, fans with kind of a so-so card, and then a week later, come back with a pay-per-view that is headlined with Orange Cassidy and John Moxley on a, a week of buildup. Um, it, 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 it's just, it's crazy. I, I think it's it's indefensible. And just pointing out that, well, they were really good matches isn't the point, right? You know, because it, it, it's literally sort of the, the indie wrestling model where you know you go to your local indie show you won't even know what the card is you're just going to go see some wrestling that you like and um you know see some cool moves and, and stuff like that on the the biggest of of stages you know i don't know a, a year from now maybe a month from now I'll, I'll defy the the average fan to name me three matches that happened at all in and let's you know, not forget I, I don't know i can do it now well, let's not forget too that this this is the big, the big factor here, which can't be overlooked. They they were asking fans to pay fifty dollars two weekends in a row. Yeah, I don't think we can overlook that as as just uh, oh yeah whatever. I mean that's a big, a weird weird choice. I can't remember any company ever doing that. To I mean WWE. Now they have their model of the network or Peacock where it's like you're not really you're not paying for individual pay-per-views anymore. So sometimes they'll do some that are maybe a little bit closer together than they traditionally would. But I don't even think even with that price out of the out of the picture that they would do something like this. And again, we don't want we're not saying AEW should be another WWE. Absolutely not. It's not good for the industry. You need to have a solid alternative. But that is a baffling kind of decision and maybe the numbers will prove me wrong that these the AEW viewers have like limitless pockets but i know like for me i i purchased all out i did not purchase all in because i'm not gonna spend a hundred dollars on wrestling pay-per-views from one company within a seven-day period that's insane yeah and, and even the numbers and i think people will, will point to to numbers and say well see you're wrong it worked because they sold you know this many tickets or this many pay-per-views but that doesn't take into consideration how much more they could have sold right how much money was left at the table if they ended up selling uh 150,000 uh pay-per-views for for uh all in that just tells me that the ceiling could have been so much higher um and uh, if if they booked the card that people really got excited uh, about so um i i think yeah there's uh, people can have different opinions but but i think some of this stuff is um 
even if you think it turned out well, it is hard to dispute that there wasn't a a better and a much better way uh, to do this. If if there is like an upside, it's that you know it's just been such a, a chaotic, crazy few weeks for AEW. Uh, now, kind of settle things in. Punk's out of the company. There's a little more. You know, you got Danielson back. There's a little more. You got these 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 big shows out of the way. Some time to build to the next show settle in and kind of get everything you know back back in place uh and and then move ahead but i do want to see more direction and i do think um i think Brady, as you touched on that there is a real real need for a deputy over there right i mean um tony khan needs help for sure for sure and and if you were to ask me i would have thought Arn anderson and jake roberts could have taken care of that but apparently they're not willing to give them that kind of power yeah, I don't know how good a fit it is. I mean, I think you need, because there's such traditionalists, and, and again, going back to what we're talking about, I don't, I don't know how much guys like that. Uh, I, I, I think there's there's lip service paid to to respect for them, uh, but I but I do think those are the kind of guys that you offer advice, and it they're sort of dismissed as like, yeah, yeah, okay, boomer, or whatever it is they say, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so, so uh, you know, I don't, a guy like Jerry Lynn or, or somebody who's there who, who I think maybe in, in some ways um, it's closer to their generation, um, you know, but, but then but again, was too. You, right. You always run into the problem of there's got to be some teeth to it because they're never going to want to listen to somebody, apparently, it seems to be, that tells them something other than what they want to do or the way they want to do it. So no matter who it was in there, so which is Tony knows better not to do that. So. So there's got to be some kind of a, a, a repercussion. Like it can't just be like, listen to what we're saying or we're going to tell you again. Like there's got to be like, you do this, this is the way it's going to be done. But otherwise it doesn't matter who's in that spot. Because yeah. I think there are like, I think even somebody like a JR who's been struggling to find, I feel like a role where, you know, he's not, he's not the announcer maybe that he used to be. And he has that reputation now for being like the naysayer in the company the person who's biting his lip, who doesn't want to say, well, maybe you harness that, you channel that, take him off the broadcast booth where people have said, okay, he's knocking the product or whatever. Take him out of that position. Put him in a position to be the bad cop. And and, and, and yeah, people aren't going to want to hear what he has to say. And they're going to say, oh my God, it's old JR telling us to do like what Bill Watts would have done in 1983. But maybe they need that if you want to talk about bad cop, he's the ultimate bad cop. The, but, but there's got to be teeth to it. Otherwise, they're just going to ignore him like they would ignore everybody else. Yeah. But again, you have to ride that line of understanding that right. this is a different company and they have a different vision. And, and But I and think you if don't... you have Tony and you have JR, I think that balances out. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? I agree. Yeah. I mean, clearly it needs to be addressed. You know, it, it, whatever the solution is. Um, they need to be in search of, of some kind of solution. Uh, l- let's quickly touch on, on some WWE stuff. Not a ton going on. We had a pay-per-view. It was, I think, fine. You know, some good action, but but nothing earth-shattering. Again, I think it's as close to sort of an off-season right now for WWE uh, as you get. Uh, Seth and Nakamura was fine. Uh, a little disappointing. I mean, again, Nakamura put in that big stage to deliver, and once again falls a little flat. Um uh, we saw the the tag team title change in a really fun match with um, Judgment Day, wh- which are just like they're doing so great. Judgment Day is such a fun act right now. Dom is just 
uh, I, I'm really interested in, in the most hated wrestler of the year voting, uh, PWI, because I got to think he's very much in the mix. And, and I loved that on social media, there were people accusing WWE uh, from this past Monday night of, of piping in booze because he couldn't possibly be getting booed that loud that you almost couldn't hear him talk. And it, he is. I mean, he's, he's got next level heat, uh, Adam, and, and, and is a, a ton of fun uh, to watch. Uh, but, but I think in some ways sort of the, the, the most newsworthy thing actually uh, WWE doesn't come out of uh, payback and, and um, I guess technically hasn't happened by the time we're recording it, but, but it's going through now closing in on the longest intercontinental title reign of, of all time, which I guess by Friday uh, he will have. Uh, Brady, what's the significance um, uh, of this? I mean, does, does it, you know, again, it, the, the business is a work. So, so, but, but it says something that this is the guy that WWE chose to finally break this record that's been in place for 35 years. Well, listen, Gunther is an amazing uh, wrestler and athlete. We've all known that for a long time. You know that he can do things in that ring that half that roster can't. Uh, the ring general, like that's the perfect description for him. Uh, but I feel like a little piece of my childhood is dying, <laughs> you know, because I remember when Honky was the champion, when Honky Tonk Man held that belt, and he was the, the greatest, you know, and, and it was amazing. And uh, there was a part of me that was hoping that he would fall just short of it. It's obviously not where they're going with it, but, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's very bittersweet for me. But if somebody had to do it, in today's on today's roster, it would be him. I just don't know that you had to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Brian, uh, are, are you assuming that we see Honky Talk Man in the next couple of weeks? I'm I'm not assuming it. I don't think that's what they're going to do. I, I would love to. That's the difference. <laughs> I would love to. I think just the they've been name dropping him. They talk about the record all the time. They put him in the Hall of Fame a few years ago, so he's had some visibility. I just think it would be a fun little thing to do, but it feels like the moment has passed unless they have him pop up on SmackDown, which he's not even on that show. Or they could even, you know, nowadays they could even do it as like a some kind of an online exclusive or something, but it wouldn't have the same kind of impact. It would just be a fun moment. It's not crucial. I, unlike Brady, I hated the Honky Tonk Man as a child. <laughs> as, a child as a 12-year-old boy, let me just explain this, who was so excited that Ricky Steamboat had overcome the odds and had won that belt. And to me, who had just started watching wrestling, it felt like Randy Savage was the IC champ since the beginning of time. And to have Ricky Steamboat like do it and get it, and it's the Pontiac Silverdome. And I was like, two months? You know, yeah. I, again, I was new to wrestling. I didn't, I didn't get it. I'm like, okay, now he's going to ride off into the sunset. And I'm like, two months and he lost it. And I kept saying, okay, he's going to win it back. He's going to win it back. So it drove me insane. Which is exactly what it was supposed to do, that the Honky Tonk Man held that title for so long. Because I think part of the gimmick of it at the time, and forgive me for saying this, was the attitude of they wanted people to be like, this guy? Yeah. This is the guy that nobody could beat? Like, that was the source of all of his heat, that he just seemed like such an unlikely case to be this world-beating champion that nobody could beat. You know, WWE, for some reason they seem to be all about these records now where they never used to care. It was just a thing that fans debated about. They never really made a big deal out of, out of records as much. And, you know, they killed the demolition record. Now they've killed the honky record. I think they're on a mission to put these very, very old records 
behind them so it doesn't look like in some ways their best years are in the past. That said, I, I think that I still say that Bruno record's going to last forever because um, no matter what they want to do, because Roman Reigns isn't even halfway there. He's not even halfway yeah. there. What I do think he's going to do, though, and I think this might be something they're going to shout from the mountaintops, is if he makes it to the Royal Rumble, then he will have exceeded the second Bruno San Martino title reign, the one from the 70s, he would have beat. But he's never going to beat that original you know, seven-year, eight-month reign. It's just I, I just can't even imagine them. That would, They'd be biting the cutting off their nose to spite their face if they did that, if they just said, we're just going to keep it on him for four more years. I just think that would be ridiculous. But does he does he if he keeps it to mania, does he surpass Backlund? No, because Backlund is almost six years. Oh my god. So yeah, Backlund's so. like five years and ten months. So I mean he just passed three years. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like, mean you're really uh, <laughs> short of, of a complete sort of overhaul of, of wrestling philosophy, you you're you're never gonna see that because in, right. in doing that you, you're not setting up guys for the future. So, so who well, would want to come into WWE when you you know there's essentially zero chance of, of getting the world title because right. it's on this guy and it's going to be on for ten years. And I also feel like it's already to me gotten to the point where they're they're hamstringing themselves over this ridiculous chasing of how long could he hold the title because they've clearly created this other world title for Seth Rollins for the purpose of extending Roman Reigns' title so he doesn't have to lose it to anybody. Now they've got this other world title. They're hardly having him wrestle at all. It seems like they're bending over backwards to just keep him holding it as long as possible to get this number of days, and it just feels like it's getting into the realm of being counterproductive at this point. Yeah, because even those champions, whether it was uh, Bruno or Backlund, we're defending their titles and, and, right. and, and pretty consistently, and right? The, the average fan, right. And, and it's worth pointing out because sometimes I'll mention like, oh, Bruno was defending it five, six times a week. And people will say to me, well, you know, it cheapens it if you defend it that much anyway. And I agree to a point, but you got to remember the average fan didn't know that. They didn't know every arena right. that he was in. But what they did know is once a month, he's coming to our arena to defend the title. We're getting So even if in their mind they thought, oh, he's defending it once a month at our arena – but the fans now aren't even getting that from Roman. You know what I mean? They're not even getting that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Want to drop in something here that is completely out of nowhere, in part because we got uh, a Brady. And I know, Brady, you've done some some ring announcing. Uh, but I have spent a lot of time in, in, in talking about all-time greats here. I think WWE right now has got an all-time great on their roster, and that's Samantha Irving, uh, their, their ring announcer, who – I just think, uh, and I, again, I've been watching so much of her stuff. She is so, so great at what she does. WWE's really landed on something special. Yeah. And, I mean, you've got Howard Finkel, who who obviously is, is the giant of all giants. But um, she's relatively new to this. And, you know, not to overstate things, but I think she's knocking at his door. I mean, I think she's that good. And, and there's wow. a lot of these videos that they put on YouTube. They're just kind of like close-ups of her doing these, these ring announcings, whether it's coming down the aisle or announcing a winner. And it is such a performance for her where, you know, it, it's like it's, she's in the middle of, of, of you know, a, a stage play or something like that and delivering so much energy and unique calls for, for different names. And then as soon as, like, you know, she's done announcing it, she's, like, moving to the music. She just looks like she's having such a great time. And, uh, I, yeah, I think for what she does, she might be the most talented performer on the WWE roster. 
So you've got her past Lillian Garcia already. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. And and okay. I, I mean I I would have her below the Fink because he's the Fink. He did it for no. for forty years. She's been doing it for whatever two or or, or yeah. three. But uh, I I can't say enough great things about her. I do think that she looks like she's having the most fun doing it. So I will yeah, say that. Yeah. And yeah, a great I, I, voice. Yeah. Yeah. That, she, like, she, she's got a very good voice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you see, you know, the ones that that are real memorable is when she announces uh, Imperium, because uh, she she really gets into the vintage, yeah. didn't she? And then um, <laughs> the other one is Chelsea Green. Chelsea Green. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like she blast. puts her own spin on it, which is really yeah. nice. Yeah, she really, was really, really good with Roman and the Bloodline when she was oh, on yeah. SmackDown as well. It was like, yeah, just made it feel special. I, I do. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. yeah, and she pushes it to the point that she's almost like shouting, but but it 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 isn't over dramatic. It's sort of the right amount of dramatic and uh, just great. So that's out of nowhere, but I thought I'd bring it up uh, a real quick before we split. Every once in a while, we talk NWA, and we finally have a new NWA champion, EC3, yes. beating Tyrus. Tyrus retiring, or so he says. Um, uh, Brian, we've been critical of the NWA product over the last couple of years. D does this do anything to give you more confidence in in Billy Corgan's vision? Well, anything would have been better than Tyrus. I mean, you know, <laughs> having him now that he's lost it and people are putting the, these, I've seen these posts where it's like, where where does he rate? Where does he rank among all of the NWA champions? And I'll just say, well, he, he doesn't. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's so anything would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, an improvement over that. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if if Ethan Carter the third is the answer to that or, um, but again, it's it's at least an improvement. I do have to say that they've kind of like started their new season of power and they've done a little retooling and revamping of the show. And there are things with, with, with this week, there are things that I liked, but I, I just feel like um, that that company has taken so many hits over the years that it's going to take a lot more than a new champion, I think, to turn things around. But I mean, you got to start somewhere, so... Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, and and I think Tyrus is was as, um, and I want to be kind here, but but yeah, I got the same issues everybody else had with Tyrus in terms of, and some of it is just age. I mean, I didn't realize he was fifty years old, and a guy that size, it's gonna be hard for him to go uh, at at that level, and he's been doing it for for a long time. But, um, you know, if if you ever pull up like you know a uh, uh, Fox News on YouTube. Tyrus is all over it. I mean, he right. he is like a, a personality on yeah. um, this cable network that has tons of viewers. So he he certainly, you know, I think it worked to 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 give some awareness of NWA. There's Tyrus on these shows that are watched by tens of millions of people. He gave um, them visibility, no yeah, question about yeah. it. And, I mean, and there were even times on a couple of those NWA shows where. I'd look around the front row areas of the ring, and I—I I mean, I, I hate the stereotype, but I'm going, <laughs> uh, no, but I'm going like those people are; those are those aren't wrestling people; those are Fox News people. Which, hey, right. it's not the worst thing in the world. Like people are getting turned on to your product, fine, whatever, however you do it. But oof. yeah, I mean, that's a double-edged sword of, of taking it off him. Is like, sure, maybe some of like the critics like us will will get off their back about having the NWA title uh, around uh, a Tyrus. Uh, but but what does happen to to their their viewership? Either but I mean, if people are watching just because the guy from Fox News is on, that's not really sustainable anyway. I mean, you've, you've got to build uh, the, the the company bottom up. CM Punk. We talk about you know wrestling tradition. <laughs> in, in some ways, he'd be a perfect fit. I, I mean, I can't imagine. I'm I'm half kidding, but but you know, you think Punk would would love to hold the uh, the, the ten pounds of gold? Yeah, um, he would have. Like if it was 
40 years ago. Yeah. But I think like the, the, you can't overstate. I mean, I was amazed to see the benefit of a platform. I mean, I guess I should have known, but even for a wrestler like Tyrus, I have, I have a personal stake in the game here because I keep a close watch on the book rankings on Amazon for wrestling books. And let me tell you, man, his book is perennially number one. And you would wow. go, well, how is that possible? You've got like mocks and you've got all the WWE books and things. And it's the young bucks. And it's like, nope, Tyrus. And why is it? Because he's on TV every week talking about that book to an audience that dwarfs a wrestling yep. audience. And that that's, I mean, you can't underestimate it. And and he gives, you know, I, I was watching him talking about his retirement on, on Fox News and they've got, um, they're showing stills of uh, him in the ring with EC3. And if, you'd, if you're not a fan of wrestling at all, you'd think this was like a big show, like, oh, this must have been like WrestleMania right. or something that, that this happened because he lost the, the world heavyweight title. Um, and, you know, where else is are, are they going to get that kind of credibility? So I don't know. I, I should point out, I saw Smashing Pumpkins in concert last week, uh, and, and they were fine. So I don't know how good a wrestling promoter is, but but still a, a decent rock star. Um, all right. We're about 115. So, so uh, let's head out of here uh, real quick. Uh, uh, Brady, why don't you talk about everything you've got going? Uh, including, am I correct that you are uh, either have been or about to be inducted in the ECWA Hall of Fame? Yes, next Saturday. I'm really excited. Uh, so ECWA Night of Unusual Matches. Uh, I, they actually surprised me with that honor. I never would have expected it. Uh, certainly not this soon. You know, I, I hope that's not their way of kind of pushing me out the door. <laughs> but I've been, I've, Tell people what the ECWA is. Uh, so the ECWA is uh, one of the top independent uh, companies here on the East Coast, uh, certainly in the Philadelphia area. It's in Morganville, New Jersey right now, uh, not too far from like Tom's River. Um, so ECWA is primarily known for the Super 8 tournament that happens every year. We cover it usually pretty extensively in PWI. Uh, top 8 independent, usually independent stars trying to make a name for themselves, um, you know, with this tournament. So ECWA has a long-standing tradition. It's been around since 1967. And, uh, yeah, we're under our new owner, Ryan Cavanaugh. He's been the owner probably since about 2019, 2020, somewhere around there. Uh, he has really um, placed an emphasis on the history of the ECWA and looking back on it over the years. Uh, he's actively working on a Jim Kettner documentary. Jim was the longtime promoter, very well respected in the industry. So I'm excited to be a part of that. Uh, yeah, so ECWA runs every few months out of Morganville, New Jersey. And uh, if you can't be there live, uh, ECWAWrestling.com, uh, you can also purchase the uh, stream on the premier streaming network. So, uh, and, so uh, that. and you've got your own podcast uh, that is I do. going strong, right? I do. Yes. Uh, in the room. Well, you can't see it because of my chair. Uh, in the room, VOC Nation. I, I run the, the network and uh, yeah, we're, we're live every Tuesday night. Uh, we try to get guests from time to time. Recently, we had Brian Kendrick and um, and the Warlord were the two big ones that we had. We had Lex Luger earlier this year as well. Um, but, you know, we take calls and we just try to have fun with it, basically. It's more like uh, like a live radio stream than it is a podcast. So it's, it's always a good time. Yep. And obviously still contributing to uh, PWI. Uh, and they can find you at, at Brady Hicks on, I guess we're not yeah. calling it Twitter anymore. X, whatever it is. At X, whatever it is. Yeah. It's my, it's my three-pronged attack, though, to stay 
as relevant as I can with as little effort as possible. <laughs> You're doing a fine job of that. Thank you. Uh, and and Brian, uh, you, you mentioned uh, books. Uh, people could still get your book, uh, The Sheik Book, and uh, you are hard at work on your next book. That's right. So Blood and Fire, that's the title of The Sheik Book, and that's been out now for um, over a year, a year and a half now, but it's still doing really well. And, and uh, in fact, I've just, I'm still doing signings for that book, so I'm really proud of it. But the Gorilla Monsoon book, I think, will be even bigger. And, you know, I'm, I'm intimidated. I want to live up to, you know, people's expectations because he's such a beloved figure. But it's been it's been moving along. I, I Like I said, I recently interviewed Gorilla's widow, Maureen, and I'm going to be talking to his daughter, Valerie, this week. Um, I've got – I'm just about – I'm getting through all the interviews now and just moving it along and, and getting the book ready to be written. I'm hoping to have it – I'm hoping that by a, a year from now – that it will be very close to being available to be purchased. So that's exciting. And it's called right. Irresistible Force, by the way. Did, did his widow, uh, no spoilers, I guess, but but did, did you spend much time talking about the death of Joey Morella? I did. I spent uh, actually a lot of the time on that because, you know, the funny thing is back then the wrestling really was like the mob in the sense that, you know, the, the wives were kept in the dark. They really were. So, like, the, the, the stuff that she was the most uh, – um, conversant on and wanted to talk about the most was family stuff, which I was more than happy to talk about, you know, about her husband, Gino, and about her son, Joey, and what happened to him. And, you know, that, that's going to be a major part of the book, because unfortunately, the tragic death of Joey Morella is like the turning point moment in the life of Gorilla Monsoon, where basically, you know, he, he was a relatively young man. People think of him as this grandfatherly figure. I mean, Gorilla Monsoon could have easily still been living today. Um, he wasn't even old enough to collect Social Security when he died. And a big reason of why he unfortunately gave up on life was that he lost his son. So, you know, I was I was happy, not happy, but I mean, I was, it was important to me to talk to her about that because it's a very important part of the story. Yeah. I mean, if even now when I'm watching old wrestling, um, you can pinpoint from gorillas announcing whether it was pre or, or post uh, uh joey's death it it completely different you know yes. uh, uh, in, t in terms of his heart being in it and and or sort of like phoning it in uh it it really came through and he's a professional so so i know that uh, he did his best but he really became a different person after that yeah you can tell and it also happened to be right around the time that jr was kind of coming in and he was sort of getting phased out even before Joey died. But I mean, it was a combination of a lot of things where um, his heart just wasn't in it anymore. And he kind of uh, was, I don't want to say he was just cashing a check, but I mean, his heart definitely wasn't in it anymore. And also he just was not taking care of himself anymore because he had been a lifelong diabetic and he kind of just stopped uh, trying to think of his own health. He really, I mean, it. it's not an exaggeration when I say that he just gave up on everything yeah. at that point. Yeah. 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 And the other thing that happened around that time, and I don't know how much this affected his performances, was losing Bobby Heenan, right? Heenan going over to WCW, yeah. you lost that act. And that that act was was such a special part uh, of Monsoon. And it was like, you know, it was Abbott and Costello, and, and he lost his Costello. And, and uh, yeah. And I talked yeah. to Bobby's daughter, Jessica, and I was really pleased to find this out because I really didn't know that they continue to still remain close friends and see each other socially even when bobby was working for wcw which you know back then there's people that would have been scared to do something like that and basically the two of them just couldn't care less like who is going to tell gorilla no 
You know, like they were still going on family vacations together and hanging out and they were working for rival companies. Like that's just heartwarming to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that one. Yeah. Anyway, can't (laughs) can't wait for that book. Um, Guys, thanks so much. Uh, We'll do it again soon. Uh, Everybody, thanks for listening and uh, we'll be back. Bye.